G'day, Darren Mitchell here, and welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. In today's episode, another phenomenal interview, this time with Andy Paul, an author, podcaster, speaker, and actually number eight on LinkedIn's list of top 50 global sales experts. A really, really enjoyable conversation with Andy. He's a, uh, a long-term salesperson, but doing sales in a slightly different way and going against the herd. So if you're a salesperson and a sales leader looking for some nuggets of gold to help you in your quest to become exceptional, then please do yourself a favor and buckle in and listen to the next 50-odd minutes because Andy shares some absolute gold, as well as uh, letting you know where you can get his brand new book called Sell Without Selling Out. So I recommend you get yourself a copy. And uh, without further ado, let's go straight into the interview. Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales leader looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here and... Uh, Another beautiful special guest today, a man all the way from what well, beautiful. From, Look at that well, beautiful. Last time it was called beautiful. It was a long time ago. Well, that's right. But hey, it's there's no <laughs> actually there's no filters on this, Andy. <laughs> there's no filters on Zoom. For those, for those of you watching this, um, watching this on YouTube, yeah, there's two beautiful men just going to have a conversation. Two all about, all about sales. <laughs> so, uh, Andy Paul, podcaster, author, speaker, and may I say, number eight on LinkedIn's top 50 global sales experts. Welcome to the hey, Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Great to have you. Thank you, Darren. Pleasure to be here. And uh, you were just we we're just talking before, and this is um, you're in the middle of a book tour, virtual book tour, mm. doing book uh, tour. 76 podcasts, interviews. Yeah, yeah. So I. As a podcast, I have a professional interest as a podcaster to see how people conduct interviews. And I've already experienced sort of the part of the spectrum of preparation that people do or don't do. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah it's a lot of fun. Beautiful. And uh, the book, the brand new book we're going to talk about today, which is called Sell Without Selling Out, went live on Amazon. <laughs> Beautiful. There it is right there. <laughs> Hey, shameless uh, plug. What can I say? Well, it is, and 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 why not? Absolutely. I've and I must say, I've read the book, love the book, and I'd love to uh, love to oh, talk thank about you. a number of the key topics within the book. So, um, this is just a fireside chat. So, I'm not wondering. I'm not thinking. Uh, I haven't done too much preparation, as I mostly don't do. It's just a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Two people having a conversation around a coffee table right. or over uh, by a fireside chat. So. Let's let's start. But I want to go back before we talk about the before we talk about the book. I'd love to go back to the beginning, and mm-hmm. let's just say you've you've been around for a while. <laughs> don't and, don't laugh when you say that. <laughs> no, no. But we were just talking before about you've done a lot of travel and and traveling right. to Australia back in the eighties and nineties. So there'll be a lot of people in Australia that that are um, quite familiar with with the man that is Andy Paul. But I'd love to I'd love to go back because you do refer to this in your book. Um, at the beginning of your sales career. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you about a specific story that sure. you tell in the book. But before that, if you go back before that, I'd love to know um, what was it that fascinated you about sales in the first place that said, you know what, Andy, I, I think I can be a good salesperson. I'm going to pursue that career. Absolutely nothing. Nothing? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So you yeah, fell gra- into it. Yeah. Yeah, I graduated 
from university, didn't have a plan as to what I was going to do, other than the fact I knew my, <laughs> I, I had no money coming from my parents, so I had to go find a job. Yep. And I worked at the university I graduated from for three or four months and, and was thinking about actually going to work for the university. And I said, yeah, no, I don't, I, that sounds, that sounds lazy. So yeah, I went to the career center on campus and this is a few months after I graduated and really about the only jobs that were listed were sales jobs, okay. IBM, Xerox, Burroughs. So yeah, so the big tech companies of the day. Yeah. And I thought, sure, I'd done a little bit of selling. I'd sold women's shoes at a department store and I had as a teenager and I had uh, sold, you know, sponsors ads in a, a theater program, but I, you know, I hadn't, basically I had not sold at all. So I had no idea. And as I read a book about two weeks into it, I was like, what did I get myself into? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can do this. So did you have, did you have, in, as you were going through that, did you have any models that you were looking at that, that said, oh, I would like to be like them? Or was it just, you were just working it out as you, as you went in the early stages? Pretty much sort of working it out as I went. I mean, I, in the office, the branch office that I was at, <clears throat> there's one more senior guy who really seemed to have it dialed in. Yep. And so, yeah, I sort of, I don't say, I certainly didn't model myself on him because he was a very unique character, but, but sort of his processes and his methods, he just, yeah, he made it look kind of easy. Yep. And, but he worked hard, worked really, really hard, but it just, I don't know. He just sort of knew what he was doing. And so yeah. I tried to take cues from him. Yeah. And he was also not really a prototypical seller at all. Um, he had grown up, his family owned a f uh, home furnishings business. So in his teenage years, he was selling you know, couches and, you know, stuffed chairs and, you know, furniture, yeah. home furnishing to people. And so had, he had some, some background, but I just, his name was Gary. We had a great, I remember early on, he took me along on some calls I remember we walk up to the door, we drove out to a you know, business center and parked the car and walked door to door. And yeah, I'm sort of following them in. And, and we come up to this one door, this one business that says, yeah, no salesman. <laughs> no hawkers, please. And, and yeah, he just opens the door and goes in. And I'm sort of like hesitating and saying, well, yeah, whatever. And so I follow him into the lobby and there's a service a open atrium lobby and a receptionist sitting at the desk and we walk up and she sort of gives us the, the evil stare and says, can't you read? And Gary says, Oh, that, well, we're not here to sell anything. We're here to help your, your owner make more money. <laughs> what does she say to that? She said, Oh, well, call him then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, yeah, you know, he just he just had the right address. I'm not I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to help you. Yeah. And that sort of still informs some of my approach. Yeah, absolutely. I remember back when I first got into sales, and this is back in the in the was it mid mid nineties. I looked at I was in a post sales position working with mm. sales teams. And from my point of view back then, I could see the sales guys driving nice cars, wearing nice clothes. <laughs> Uh, playing a lot of golf, doing lots of lunches. And I got to go to some of these lunches and I'm thinking, hey, this gig's pretty good. And I watched the salespeople in action and they were, they were decent people. 
which mm-hmm. leading up until that point, and we want to, I want to delve into this because it's becomes sure. the genesis of your book. Leading up to that point, I had a specific perception of salespeople who right. had to convince people who we had to take a round peg and put it into a square hole or vice versa. So I was always closing at every opportunity, but I saw something different and I said, hmm, maybe there's something in this because I could see people who I was working with who were there to help people, just like um, your your first experience, mm-hmm. helping somebody make money or helping solve problems. Right. So it, was, it gave me a really good start to my own sales career. And I probably consider myself probably much like you, because I want to talk about the little story you have in your book after your first sales training and what happened oh. in terms of the um, <laughs> in terms yeah. of the recommendation that went back to your boss. Right. Um, I, I didn't want to be a salesperson per se. And still today, I don't consider myself as a salesperson. So I'm not here to convince anybody of anything, but I'm here to help as much as I can. If there's a mm-hmm. fit to the solution, then hey, the right. natural consequence, it will do business, right? Right. Um, so... I want to, part of today's episode is I want to dispel what a lot of people out there might think is of the myths of the salesperson that you have to be a great talker. You have to convince people. You have to persuade. And it's anything but. So before we delve into that. Or that you have to be aggressive or, you know, an extrovert. And yeah, I'm none of those really. I mean, so yeah, it's, it's this. The stereotypes exist because for a reason, because there are people that are that way, obviously. Yeah. But it's not a requirement. And the shame of it is, is that so many, even today, I mean, even maybe more so today, it's certainly driven in part by like what's happening in the SaaS world and so on is, is, yeah, we've got these specialized sales roles and they advertise for a account executive positions. We need a closer. Like, oh, come on, (laughs) give me a, give me a break. Right. I mean, in the business world, in my career, and I've sold hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of stuff personally, it's like, I've never been in the room and the customer made up their mind. I mean, and I think, yeah, we closed a lot of business, but I wasn't yep. this, you know, sign hard, press hard, there's three copies type person. It's like, you know, that's just not, so what good is a closer? And I, I'll ask hiring managers, I said, well, so let me ask you this question. Mm. Have you talked to your buyers about what they need your salespeople to be, you know, what they need, the value they need from your salespeople. I mean, if anyone said hire a closer, that's what we need you to, mm-hmm. yeah, we need you to hire, have somebody come out and really put us under pressure. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. And yet there are still sales leaders out there who are a looking for people who can do that. But then when they do bring them on board, their mantra seems to be always be closing, always be closing, always be closing. And the attitude is almost like, well, if you've got a live customer in front of you, then you've got to maximize the time you've got with them and close them on the spot. Because if you don't, somebody else will. And it's such a short-term approach. Now, I know from uh, from speaking with you and learning a little bit about you, you don't consider yourself to be an extrovert. No. So let's let's squash the first myth about sales that you have to be an extrovert because that's not the case. There are many, many no. highly successful people who are completely the opposite. Yeah. And case in point, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, well, I'm, I'm sort of in the middle, right? I mean, I, I, I'm very introverted in social situations. You know, it's like, we go to parties, you know, my wife is like, talk. Um, but <laughs> aren't you the sales guy? <laughs> yeah. Aren't you the sales guy? But put me in front of a customer, I do fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, I always heard when early in my career, I always sort of envied those people that, 
would just serve naturally gregarious and yeah, you know, talkers and yeah, you know, it seemed like so easy for them to connect with people. And I was like, yeah. at one point I thought, gosh, I wish I was like that. But then yeah. over time I was like, no, I'm glad I'm not that way. Yeah. Yeah. But you end up being the very best version of you you can be. So and that's what makes right. you successful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and I think that's that is such an important lesson that managers need to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly the individual contributors need to learn this is that and I stress this in the book, you need to take control of your own career. But managers need to know this as well. Is it's their it's not their process that's winning a deal, right? And I've had this argument with managers think, no, the way we win is we follow the process. It's like, no. The way you win is you help your people become the best version of themselves. You give them autonomy and you give them agency over the choices they make about how they sell. Mm. They're going to be more productive. They're going to make better choices. They're going to be more fulfilled in their job. They'll probably stay around longer. All things that are really highly desirable. Absolutely. Which means that as a leader, we have to look for, yes, you've got to look for certain attributes that you think you need in your team to make a balanced Mm. team. But also when you get those attributes, you focus on the strengths that, that person has so they can utilize that to the best to their best advantage but not taking advantage of their customers so right. as what you're saying is being the very best because you don't have to be because i don't think there's any true definition of the perfect salesperson right because there's no. a whole gamut of different people but as That's, you absolutely. as you talk about in the book which is really it's it's really refreshing because if i think more and more sales people and more sales leaders hey this is another shameless plug have to get the book because it's all about taking full control over what you can do in the moment that you're with a customer and it's not right. about closing a deal. Right? right. Now, if we can go right back to the start, because uh, sure. I, want, I want you to share this little story because you're very, very early in your sales career. You just finished your sales training. You come back to the branch and the branch manager is handed an envelope, which apparently you were given at the end of the training. Yes. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, was like an assessment of Andy Paul through the training, right? An assessment, yes. So at that time, these big companies would hire hundreds, if not thousands of fresh college graduates, put them into these training programs with, you know, the express intent of weeding out the ones that they didn't think were good and trying to, you know, keep the good ones. So yeah, two weeks after, after two, I went to my first training class after being there two weeks, two week training class, come back, have this envelope, hand it to the branch manager. I go back to my desk in the sales floor and he comes out a couple months later and you know, says, Hey, come to my office. So sure. I go to his office. He says, so how'd training go? And then instantly, you know, defenses go up. It's like, oh, what happened? This is a lady question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay. I thought it went okay, which I, I thought it did. And he said, well, that's interesting. Cause he's looking at this evaluation that they think we should fire you. Wow. And you hadn't <laughs> even really started yet. Well, no, I, I, no, I hadn't, I'd made a few sales calls, but that was about it. <laughs> And he said, yeah, they thought you're too analytical. You'll never make a good salesperson. You're not salesy enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> okay, what am I going to tell my parents? I got fired after two weeks. Um, but, you know, that was the, that was the attitude then. This is, you know, I show up for that training class and everybody's got their salesy act on, right? Mm. And I just said to myself, I I'm not that person. I can't be that way. I can't act that way. Yeah. And if I'm going to have a career in this, I need to find a way to make sales work for me, not the other way around. And so for me, that was really the start of the journey to say, okay, there's probably a path for me. I'm not sure 
what it is, yep. but yep. I sort of rose to the challenge to say, okay, let me find it. Mm. And eventually I did. And how much kudos would you give to that original manager who, let's be honest, if he was, or I'm assuming it was a he, let's just assume it's it was a he, a he yeah, right? It was, yeah. He, he could have been one of those salesy type that says, hey, you're not a fit, so let's just get rid of you and get in a salesy person. What was it about you that he saw, <laughs> you think, that had him persist with you? I think it was the challenge of working with me. Let's turn him around. Let's turn him into a salesperson. <laughs> right. So he had never, he had never hired onto his team, anybody from my, my university. So yeah, okay, I went yeah. to, went to Stanford and uh, you know, the States, everybody assumes if you go to Stanford, you're gonna become a lawyer or a doctor or investment banker. Yeah. And so he, he was, he was, even though the, my direct boss uh, really wanted to hire me, is he was he took a little more time to to say okay yeah it's, he's worth taking a risk on yeah so I, I this is story down the book but it's it is yeah my interview there was the shortest interview in the world yeah so I I signed up for interview in the career center they sent me up to this office in the San Francisco Bay Area to interview interview with a uh, guy to become my boss and the job was selling computer systems to businesses. And for accounting purposes, so you needed to know accounting. And I had taken accounting in, in school, but I didn't major in it. It was just, I'd taken some courses. So going to the conference room, Ray, who's interviewing me is across the table. I'm sitting here. Doesn't say hi. Doesn't say his first words out of his mouth are an accounting question. Wow. I froze. And I'm sitting there going, what happened to hello? Are you? <laughs> and, and I, what, yeah, it was one of these classic pregnant pauses. And, and I said to him, you know, I took accounting in college. I know, I, I know the answer to this question, but I just, I don't know. It just jumped on my brain. I can't, can't draw it up. So how about if I go home tonight and get the answer and I'll call you tomorrow with the right answer. Cause this was pre-internet days. Yeah. Yeah. Without saying a word, he stands up and leaves the room. And I'm sitting there going, oh, shit. <laughs> and then, yeah, a few minutes later, <clears throat> Brian, the, the big boss that I had to give my assessment to, yeah. comes in and introduces himself and he says, so I understand Ray wants to hire you. Wow. And that was the interview. That was the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, and... So I had to, I had to, I had to interview with Brian some more, the big yeah, boss, yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. convince him that he was worth taking a risk on. Sure. But for the guy that hired me and my direct boss, that was the interview. Wow. And it was such a great lesson for me, especially starting into sales. Is like, yeah, don't try to talk your way through a situation. Don't try to bluster your way through a situation. You know, stick with the truth, act with integrity and yeah. character, and you'll be rewarded for it. Brilliant. So you started off on the right foot as you look back. Yeah. And they didn't fire me, which was great. <laughs> now, as you, as you then proceeded through your, through your sales career, obviously you formed your own, uh, I guess, sales method or sales approach, which has served you well because you've sold mm. millions and millions of 
mm-hmm. of technology and all sorts of different things around the world. Um, and I also know you've written another, a couple of other books as well. I'd love right. to delve into this one and specifically the title Selling Without Selling Out. What right. was the genesis of that? What is it? Is this, would you consider this to be your life's work? Uh, or something else that's driving that might be a well sorry your life's work up until now <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> i've got more ideas for books too so yeah no this was this was this one was very personal and although the, i mean i i tend to write in a personal style but then this one was very personal because i i'm of the belief that we're not getting any better at selling and despite all the advantages of the technology that exists, arguably we're worse at selling than we were before the technology became available. Yeah. And there's some anecdotal evidence to support that. I mean, we don't have a lot of great data in sales, but about productivity, individual productivity and so on. But there's enough out there to say, okay, gosh, so few reps are hitting quota and Analyst reports showing close rates and going down, win rates going down, no decision rates going up. Mm. It's like, what are we doing? Mm. And from my perspective is looking at what happens and it's, it's skewed a little bit by what's happened in the tech space, but not entirely is, is the way that the technology is being used is rather than use all this admittedly really great technology that exists yep. to fundamentally reset how we engage with and help our customers make their decisions, we've just used it to automate existing bad sales behaviors. And so what was not good before we've amplified yeah. and it's now, it's now worse. Yeah. And now that we can you know, blast a million emails out to people, we, it never really crosses the mind of people to think, well, just because we can do this doesn't mean we should. Correct. Right. And so part of the book is to say, yeah, let's just stop. You know, this, these things that we think are really being effective that really aren't is less, we can just stop this behavior today with all these things I call salesy behavior, the, you know, pitchy, self-centered, you know, commission breath driven, uh, always be closing type behavior <laughs> is, is yeah, just stop. It's not helping. Yeah. It's not helping anybody. Yeah. So why are we doing it? Yeah. We could, we could, we could go cold turkey worldwide among all salespeople that you know exhibit these behaviors, and they'd be no worse off than they are today. They wouldn't. But as we know, there's this massive, almost unconscious habit that has been formed that mm-hmm. is almost like, well, this is this is the way we have to be, and this is the way we have to do it because this is the way we've always done it. Right, which is crazy because, and I lay this out in the book as <clears throat> we touched on earlier, is it starts with the the genesis of this is what's your perspective about what your job is. Mm. So if you believe as a seller that your job, or you've been taught that your job is to go out and persuade a buyer to buy your product. Well, that's sort of single threaded, right? Of course you're going to go out and you're going to indulge and always be closing and, you know, being self-interested because I've got one thing and you're in my, my list of prospects. So therefore I need to persuade you to buy this from me. Because I have the best product, of course. Of course, as opposed to the perspective of saying, look, my job as a seller is to go out and listen to my buyers, 
understand what the most important things are to my buyer in terms of the challenges they're trying to address and the outcomes they want to achieve, and then help them get that. Yeah. Yeah. So in the first thing, first example, selling is something I do to a buyer or at a buyer. And the other selling is something I do with the buyer. That's it. That's, and when you have a different perspective, then you think, well, what are the actions I need to take if my perspective is there to listen, to understand, and help versus I need to persuade you? Mm. And so for me, we can start there and say, look, this crap to the left, it's never worked, has no value for the buyers. Buyers instinctively resist, as I write about in the book, instinctively resist being persuaded. Well, not just buyers. We as human beings instinctively resist being persuaded. Absolutely. And yet we spend billions of dollars a year to try to train sellers to go persuade people to do things. All the different closing techniques, overcoming objections techniques, the whole <sighs> box and dice. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that was one of the things that really got me in like this first sales training class I saw where it just made my skin crawl. It's like objection handling. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you're basically just bullying your way through it. This is what we teach people, right? Just bull your way through it. So just in the classic line they, they taught was, well, just assume that isn't a problem, right? Maybe you're saying, let's say you give a simple example, you know, try to sell somebody a car and, and well, I love the car you got there, but I need it in blue. Oh, I'm sorry. We only have it in red. No, I really <laughs> need it in blue. Well, just assume that we had it in blue. Would you buy from us? Yes. Well, I've got this one. It's red. It's just like the one that's blue. It's like, oh my God. And versions of this are still being taught today. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. just yeah. insane because it doesn't work. And what's, what's the really interesting thing about this is I think intuitively us as humans who at any stage in our life have been on the receiving end of a salesperson, whether it be a car, whether you've been in business to business or whether you've been buying a television or even a, even right. a, a bed or whatever the case might be. And we know intuitively what it is that we shouldn't be doing. And yet as salespeople, it's almost like- we think we that's what we should be doing. Yeah, we can't control ourselves because we're under pressure to hit a number. So therefore we've got to pers- persuade and we've got to behave in a certain way. So so the, the, selling, the selling in concept versus the selling right. out concept. So for people right. who- are listening to this and, and again I'm going to recommend they read the book because it's a phenomenal read and there's lots and lots of really cool practical stuff in there if you were to describe the selling in versus selling out at a really mm-hmm. high level to somebody who is either new to sales or is wanting to make a paradigm shift in sales sure how would you describe that selling in versus selling out well selling out is those collection of behaviors we talked about that <laughs> instinctively that you instinctively resist mm. right it's all the ones we described and the stereotypical sales behaviors that you see portrayed in popular culture and so on. They, those stereotypes are unfair at one level, but the other level, they exist for a reason because this is how people have experienced it. Yeah. And I tell the story in the book. I said, you know, what's the one question a buyer will never ask you? Like one question is, well, Hey, Darren, love your product, but here's the thing. You're just not salesy enough. Could you be more salesy? <laughs> right? You ever heard a buyer's gonna say, hey, be more salesy? Be more salesy. Close more. You gotta close me. <laughs> of course not. It has no value for them. They they resist Zero. it. Zero. So so selling in and those that set of behaviors is learned behavior. Mm. Right? People are taught that. 
So yep. the opposite of that is what I call selling in, which is based upon learning how to amplify innate human characteristics and innate human skills that enable you to connect with the buyer, to deploy your curiosity, to, to learn about them, learn what's most important to them, come to an understanding of them as a person and organization, and then use your, your generosity to help them get what's most important to them. This is, and this, we're wired. So the four pillars of selling in connection, curiosity, understanding, generosity, hmm. we are wired to connect with other people, right? That's who we are. We're social, social beings. Yeah. We we're wired to want to use our curiosity to navigate unfamiliar situations. And if you're open-minded in sales, yes, you may have a customer or prospect that fits a certain ideal client profile. But the mistake so many sellers make is they think, oh, well, now they fit that profile. Thus, I'll ask these same questions, ask all the people that meet that profile. But no, if you're curious, you know, that's a unique setting I'm going into. The person that's unfamiliar, I don't know all the answers, hmm. but I want to go ask the questions and find yeah. out. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, understanding follows, right? Because again, it's, it's understanding is tied to so many things. It's like it's tied to our empathy. Our ability to have empathy is tied to our ability to understand another person, why they feel the way they do. And in sales, you know, the sales selling outside is there, they sell before they understand because hmm. they're just trying to persuade you to buy a product. Hmm. But it, how can you sell if you don't know what the target is, right? If you don't know what's most important to the buyer. And then you have to understand. You got to understand first. And then generosity, as I say in the book, is selling is an act of generosity. I mean, mm. just look at the phrase I used before is, so your job is to go out and listen to the buyer. That's listening. That's the very generous act to understand what's most important to them. Understanding them, very generous act. Yeah. And then helping them get what's most important to them. Also a generous act. So we, as humans, giving makes us feel good mm. and fulfilled. And so when, when I talk in the book about, you know, how we help buyers make progress, that's a generous act. And when you do that with the pure intention, mm -hmm. the, law, the law of reciprocity kicks in and they feel almost obligated to want to give something back to you. And if well, it's they feel good about it. They do. And if you're genuine about that and not quote unquote salesy, then a natural consequence is they're going to lean into you. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, yeah, so the, yeah. the subtext behind the whole book is creating positive buying experiences, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, in the world we live in, that's you know largely dominated by technology and so on, <clears throat> is the differentiation between products is very slim, right? Yeah, you could innovate and have a brand new SaaS product that comes out today. I guarantee within 12 months, there's a dozen competitors, Yeah. right? So enjoy the differentiation when you can, but in the long run, in the mind's eye of the buyers, products are all pretty much interchangeable. So on what basis are they making their decision? Well, the folks at Challenger and Gartner and in other places said, well, based on our studies, the difference is the individual, mm. the buyer's experience with the individual sellers. And I, Gartner had a study at one point found that when they're talking about the levels of trust during the buying process, that the buyer put most trust in the individual seller before the company they work for. So how they experience you is hugely important. Yeah. Uh, I, in my previous book, 
I'd written about this idea that Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize winning economist, had developed this, this uh, rule through his research called the peak end rule that says when people go through an experience and they look back at the experience and make a decision about it, they only factor in two factors, really. It's the peak event during that experience and the last event. Yeah. But you think about in the sales context, what are those memorable events? It's their interactions with you, the individual. It's how you make them feel. It's how you make them feel. It's how they experience you. Yeah. And so to sell in, the way you differentiate yourself in part is by being intentional about the actions you take to connect, to be curious, as opposed to selling out, which there's no intention at all. The only intention is always be closed and get my order. Absolutely. Which is a very self-centered um, yeah. approach. But there's this, this idea in the head of many sales leaders is, well, we have to be that way in order to hit our numbers. Because <laughs> it is all about the number. Yeah. And it's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> You're feeling panicked in part. And again, this is, you know, we see this in, in the SaaS world is win rates are so low. Yeah. They have to have a ton of activity coming through the funnel. Yeah. Well, why are the win rates have to be low? They don't have to be, but they, they are. Yeah. And they, the SaaS world is not unusual to be, you know, 20% win rate yep. of your yep. qualified opportunities. And I, I'll ask sales leaders and I'll say, well, okay. Because one of the big, big things we want to make sure we'd have is product market fit. Yeah. So if you're only able to win one of every five of your most qualified opportunities, do you really have product market fit? Or do you just suck at selling so bad that you can't, <laughs> you can't help your buyers? That's it. And I mean, that's ultimately the buyer's referendum on your ability to connect and to understand and to help them is your win rate. Mm. That's the buyer voting. And it's, <laughs> I'd like to say, it's personal. Yeah. I mean, not, not personal as you're a bad person type of way, but personal in terms of they're making as an assessment of your ability to help them gather the information they need to make an informed decision with the least investment of their time and, and attention. Yep. And they said, yeah, you didn't really do a good job on that. And there's a number of examples you refer to in the book where that's happened and you've actually had feedback from customers after the purchase who gave you feedback as to why they chose you. And it was all about the personal experience you'd created for them and how they felt right. about the interaction with you, which further enhances the point that you might have the best products, but the customer actually doesn't care about that. They care about the person who represents that company and whether that person can be trusted and whether they have authenticity. Yeah, I, I'm probably safe to say I'm, Never felt like I had the absolute best product at any time. But I mean, there's a couple exceptions where I did. But if I did, I was working for startups where we had no brand name and no track record. And we were the underdog by definition going into some of these really large deals. Yeah. And we won because of the human element, whether it was me or the CEO of the company, you know, another member of the team is the buyer's experience. So just a perfect example is we were, because I talked about, you know, I sold uh, part of what I did was so much fun is at one point in my career was selling technologies that people would pay us to develop into products. Yeah. So basically an open book, I could sell anywhere I wanted, but in this company we were selling to what at the time was one of the largest telecommunications companies in the world. And we were competing to build them 
design from scratch and build for them a certain type product. And I've been working the deal for quite a long while. I thought it was, okay, we're doing great. So I got down to the, the end and it's time for my CEO, the founder of the company to join me. We're going to go visit this company and meet with their divisional CEO. And we had a great meeting and we walk out of the meeting and my CEO turns to me and says, we're never going to win that deal. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, they have 300 engineers in that company that they're on payroll, whose job is design the type of product that we're talking about designing for them. We've got 60 people in our entire company. I said, yeah, so? He says, they're never going to make that decision. I said, you're missing the point. They trust us. Yeah. Us more than they trust their people inside the company. That's it. We didn't have a product, and as but we won the deal, right? And they pay us a lot of money, and and it was, it was down to us mm. as individuals, as humans. We made the difference, not the product, not the process. And yeah, their experience with us with us was was very positive. And it's such a um, it's such an important point. I think a lot of a lot of sales people and a lot of sales leaders miss out on that that human element, that connection piece. Mm-hmm. I know that it's the first pillar being connection. And logically it sounds, if I don't have a connection with, with my buyer, there's no way that I can actually sell them or solve a problem for them. And yet a lot of sales people try to pretend they're building a connection, but they ask mm-hmm. a lot of surface level questions. So they're not genuinely interested and they don't necessarily invest enough time in getting to know the person as a human being, yes. which is what you've done over your career. Well, and there's a cohort of people writing books and so on thinking who are advocating is you don't need to do that. Yeah. People are too busy today. They don't have time to talk to you. And it's like, no, of course they do. Of course. Right. I mean, humans are humans. We haven't. Yes. Internet's changed us a little bit in the last 25 years, but not to the extent that our brains have changed. And that takes another hundred thousand years. Come back then and talk about it is we know the science is really clear is Things as simple as small talk. I just posted about this on LinkedIn today. Small talk is essential to building a connection with someone mm-hmm. and developing this relationship where they can begin to trust you. Mm-hmm. And yet we've got people advocating, eh, you don't need to do that. It's like, that's just crazy talk. Completely is, wrong. Yes. Completely wrong. Yep. Or yeah, other people saying, yeah, you don't need to be friendly with your buyer. That's like, I don't need to be friends with my buyers. I'd Definitely. I've never really been friends with my buyers, but I'm friendly. Yeah. What's it cost you to be friendly? Well, that's cost it. you nothing. Nothing. Right. Yeah. Nothing. And it's just an innate human thing. You meet somebody, be friendly. Because yeah, Robert Cialdini wrote up in his book, Persuasion, mm. uh, that studies have shown that buyers are more likely to buy from people they think like them. You always talk about earning the no like trust from our direction with the buyer. Yep. But there's actually another step is the buyer more likely inclined to do business with people they think like them. So being That's friendly amazing. costs you nothing. Yeah. And if you're a normal human being and you know how to be friendly, uh, it's, it's just, like I said, the number of myths being circulated and misinformation, it's just like insane. And the key thing there is about genuineness, being being genuine about that. So there are people, because people's bullshit meters, certainly in Australia, and I'm sure it's the same in the States, go off really, really quickly. And we know yes. when people are, uh, are trying to pull one over our eyes or mm-hmm. trying to be trying to fake it until they make it, it has to be right. a genuine connection. 
and I refer to a lot of experience I've had as a like as a as a consumer mm-hmm. uh, buying cars, like the classic example. I had sure. my salespeople, a salesperson, all over me probably for three months leading up to the time that I purchased the car. Right? Yes, he was friendly. Yes, we had a connection. As soon as I signed the contract, crickets. Right. Hadn't heard from him. And I only bumped into him six months after I purchased the car because I took the car back to get serviced. And at the time, I was a sales leader. And I was talking Mm -hmm. to my sales team and talking about, guys, sales is the ultimate form of service, but the sale doesn't actually start until after the transaction's closed. That's when the work starts, right? So this is about connections. Right. but this guy didn't do it. So his reputation is now, and I've talked about, hey, this, who knows how many thousands of people this podcast is going out to, but I'm not going to let them, know, let them know the name. But that's just an example of not building that genuine connection and genuinely caring about mm-hmm. that person as a human being. Because what he doesn't know, and I could have had 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 contacts in my network who I could have referred to, and he could mm-hmm. have been on a gravy train for the next 10 years, Right. And he sells for his cars, but he never got that. Yeah. No, it's it's a personal yeah, you're yeah, using the expression beating a dead horse on this. It's just it starts with the human. It does. Right? Starts with it the does. human and showing a sincere interest in somebody. And for me, the story I talk about in the book, which was is the way I learned this lesson, is you know, my first sales job out of college, talked about before with Burroughs and selling computer systems. I was, in my case, I was selling to the construction business. And I was wondering, well, why are these CEOs and the entrepreneurs, you know, successful people giving me time? Because hmm. I knew nothing about business yep. virtually when I started, <laughs> nothing about sales, nothing about computers to speak of at the time. And yet they would give me their time and attention because I was sincerely interested in learning. Yep. And yeah, I'm sure... Some people probably you know, roll their eyes, but, but the fact is, you know, the people that I engaged with saw that I was curious, that I was sincerely interested in learning, I was interested in them, and they gave me time. And I had to continue to earn that time. Yeah, absolutely. But, but if you're bringing this level of interest, if you're bringing value to people, and the value can be in the form of questions you ask as much as anything you yep. say, you get more time. And I, you know, for me, this, I wrote about this in, in my first book more specifically, but it's, and I touch on, on this one is, you know, there's this bargain that's struck with between a buyer and a seller. And it's at the heart of buying and selling, which in the, the bargain is the buyer says, look, I'm going to invest in you, the seller. I'm going to invest my time and attention in you. And all I ask is that you give me something that enables me to earn a return on that investment of time and attention. So every time you're engaging with a buyer, they're investing their time and attention. What are you giving them yep. that earns them a return on that investment? Now, in the book I talk about, what that is, is that return is progress, yep. right? Yep. There's a result of interacting with you. Doesn't matter whether it's an email you send them or a phone call or a Zoom call or an in-person meeting. If they can't, as a result of that meeting, say, yeah, we've made some progress toward our decision, then it was a waste of time. Totally. You didn't hold up your end of the bargain. No. And if you have too many interactions with that, you stop being given time. Correct. And the reason you're not doing that is you're not using the four pillars. You're not using the pillars and you're not planning and being intentional about what is the value that you're going to provide during that particular interaction. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, 
always drives me nuts. You know, you'll go down and do like a pipeline review. I'm working with a client, do a pipeline review and go through deals. And I have two simple questions to ask and they're, they're in the book. And the questions are, what does the buyer need from us in this interaction to make progress towards making a decision? And as a result of us providing that value to them, what steps will they commit to take? And if a seller can't answer those two questions, simple questions, what every qualified opportunity in their pipeline, then they really need a lot of coaching about connecting and being curious, asking the right questions, making sure they get to a level of understanding because otherwise they're just going through the motions. 100%. And this is a level of intentionality that as sellers you need to have is you need to know at every point in time, what does the buyer need from me next? to make progress toward making a decision. Which leads to another key concept in the book, which is the why you. Mm. So why why you? And it's I don't think there's enough salespeople, sales leaders that ask that question of themselves enough. They might just, oh, because I, I represent this organization or I'm, I've got this right. amount of experience, but <laughs> really sitting down and thinking, why does my buyer, why is my buyer going to invest an hour of their time mm-hmm into me so that mm-hmm. they can make progress so that right. they can have value so that I can actually continue to build that level of credibility. Um, is there any tips that you'd be giving to say uh, people starting out as in, in the sales game who perhaps have gone through all the sales training and they've, they're following the path of those in the past that have been the real salesy people and they're, they're thinking there has to be a better way and it has to be a different way. Right. Is there any advice that you give somebody new today in terms of really thinking about and dialing in on that concept? Why you? Yeah, it's, I mean, the, it starts with word I used before being intentional, right? Is starting with that first opportunity you have to engage with a prospective buyer. What's the impression you want to create mm. in that person? I mean, it starts there. I mean, a perfect example, this sort of seems like sort of a small one, but I don't think it is. And it's, it's maybe more specifically American, but there's probably an equivalent uh, for you is, and this is mostly a male salesperson type thing, but yeah. calling people buddy or pal. Yeah. Right. It's just, it, people hate it. And the seller's like, oh, it's no big deal, but it's a lazy tick. And you're creating the impression of someone that's, that's overly familiar without having earned it. And if that's the case, you know, what else would they be overly familiar assuming with me and a lack of attention to detail. And it's just a small thing, but the thing is there are no small things. No, There are no small things because the buyer never forgets. No. Right. And so if you come to me or, you know, a guy in his fifties who's CEO of a company and you go, Hey pal. And it happens. <laughs> or Hey mate, as we say in Australia, a mate, but I say, I don't know if mate has the same resonance as buddy or pal, but, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not your buddy. I'm not your pal. You know, I get people selling me multiple times every day. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's a disqualifier Yeah, because do your homework, do your research. Do you th- really think me <laughs> that, it's okay if you're a you know, 24-year-old seller to call me buddy or pal with yeah. and a first a first call. Yeah. And I know you're just trying to be friendly, 
but it, it's, it's indicative of not paying enough attention and not being intentional about creating a positive impression. Yeah. And because, the, yeah. Well, I mean, how many times do we have, how many opportunities do we have in the course of a normal selling process and buying journey to interact with the buyer? Not many. Not so each one has to count. It does. You can't take the day off, right? I mean, think about it in a, you know, the normal sales interaction, it depends on product, obviously, but let's say you have five interactions with the buyer. Now, so you've got, you know, relative like a 30 days, usually a sales cycle. That means you, you only have to be good five times a month, mm. right? You just have to bring your A game five times count. a month. That's How hard is that? How hard is that? Well, it's often, uh, it's often what is it? What's the, what's the saying? Often the things that are easy to do are also the things that are not easy to do. Yeah. So I reckon well, a lot of people will overlook that and say, ah, oh, we're just going to have a conversation. We're going to, we're going to continue to build the relationship or progress the relationship. But it comes down to planning and preparation because as a salesperson, if I'm sitting in front of a CEO who is very time poor, mm-hmm. they're going to be asking themselves the question, why you? And yep. I have to have an answer because the way I behave based on that answer is going to either further enhance the question or the, mm-hmm. the satisfaction the person has. Yes, I'm ticking the box as why you, and I'm going to give the person extra time or another mm-hmm. another time or not. And it yep. could be one thing you say that can completely cut you off at the knees. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's the little things that, that make a difference. It's, it's, it goes back to the thing I talked about with Daniel Kahneman is, you know, what are, what are the peak experiences you create for your buyer? Hmm. And there's this general idea among sellers that, well, the peak experience in my interaction with the buyer is going to be my last one, like giving a proposal or doing our bake-off presentation. Yeah. And that's rarely the case. Yeah. It could yep. be the very first meeting you had with them. You asked a great question. They thought, oh, Darren gets it. Yeah. Right. Yep. That could be the most memorable part of the entire interaction with you. And you weren't even aware it was happening. That's it. So this level of intentionality is so crucial because every opportunity you have to engage with the buyer could be the one that they remember the most. Absolutely. And you can't, and you can't predict ahead of time what it no. will be. No. Which means your intention has to be so dialed in and you have to be consistent with that. Yep. Which brings me to another interesting dynamic. In, sure. in that, in in complex sales in particular, it's not mm. just the single salesperson. Often, mm. organisations will have a team. They'll have technical support. They'll have mm. they'll have the sales directors, or they'll have the the yep. senior vice president. And there's a story in your in your book. You talk about uh, the the regional director coming in, the vice president say, "We have to close this deal. Give them a fifty percent discount, or whatever the case mm. might be." When you're when you're thinking about that question, why you? Um, how difficult is it to actually maintain that integrity with your buyer when you've got internal pressure from your own organization and right. you might have some super egos that fly over the top and say, hey, we need to get this deal closed. Let me do it. Right. Let, oh, me, well, yeah. let, me, let me do it. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> general rule of thumb. Anybody with a VP title or above, try to keep them out of your deals. That's right. Um, is, is, so, and I'll tell you the re- a simple reason why. Here's a rule of thumb. This not in the book, but it's in a previous uh, writing is that you know, your, 
your odds of winning a deal are in inverse proportion to the number of times you force a buyer to tell you their story. So the danger is yep. keep bringing in a higher level person. Doesn't matter how detailed your notes are in the CRM system. They're not going to read them. That's it. And they're going to show up at the meeting and say, oh, so, yeah, tell us about your requirements. And the buyer's <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, I told us. <laughs> and so just as a rule of thumb, if, if you have to tell the buyer more than once or the buyers tell you more than once what their story is, your odds of winning the business go down for each that subsequent attention. Yeah. So just think about that. But yeah, I mean, that I think as I write about in the book is you have to take responsibility for your career, right? No one cares about your success and no one cares about you as much as you do. Yeah. And part of that is if road defining success and sales has a lot to do with where you work, right? The fit. And yeah, to this, if you're in a situation scenario that you talked about, which I had been at several mm. times in my career, especially early in my career, that just wasn't a fit, mm. right? And you're never gonna be able to achieve everything you want if you're being you know, cut off at the knees with this example you described the one that I, I experienced, right? Whereas having to call a customer at home and Christmas Eve by their opening presents to give me an order. <laughs> uh, and, you know, life's too short for that. And it makes no difference. Right. It's not doing those things does not help you. In fact, in my case, anytime I've had to resort to that, it's terminated the relationship eventually. Yeah. Right. Because suddenly in the mind of the buyer, Andy's no longer here as a trusted advisor. Andy's just here to get an order. Andy's That's transactional. It. And as That's soon as you're it. transactional, they don't have time for you. So fit, you know, I find a better place to work. Uh, or push back. You might be surprised sometimes. I've done that in my career, did that in my career, push back. I'm not fine. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And I'm going to hold me accountable for results, but I'm going to do things the way I think is best. Yeah. And you know, it's always sort of the catch 22 that you have with, with your boss and in, in sales is, you know, they could say, yeah, I really want you to do this, this, or, you know, do this tactical thing. And you're thinking for the first place, well, First of all, this person's only been in sales six months longer than I have. Yeah. And I'm not sure I really trust that advice. And it doesn't seem to align with who I am and how I think we should get this thing done. Yeah. So as I've done several times in my career is say, look, I'm not going to do it that way. Hold my feet to the fire for results. I'm perfectly willing to be accountable, but I'm going to find a way to do this that I think works better and is more aligned with my strengths. We're and just selling in. we're just selling in. Yeah, brilliant. So, Andy, as we wrap up, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thanks for investing oh, great. Some time on this. It's awesome. And again, a shout out to uh, to you. A phenomenal book. Loved it. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, for those of you watching, Andy's putting up the book right now on the screen. Um, always be closing. <laughs> always be closing. Um, and by the way, I'm not getting any royalties from this whatsoever, but I highly nope. recommend a phenomenal book. Uh, so do yourself a favor if you're a salesperson, Wanting to improve your sales, go and get this book at all. Well, it's on Amazon, really. It's where you go. That's it's the best on, place to go. Well, yeah, you can get on Amazon. So I think in Australia, it's only digital today as we're recording, yep. which is like the 24th of February. The yep. physical books, March 22nd, I think, is the date. Okay. So, um, yeah, please. If you read okay. it, let me know what you think. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Andy Paul. You find me all over the place there. 
come to my website, andypaul.com. We've got a little assessment there, a fun assessment for people to take, sort of see how salesy you really are. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, just join the community. We're building a big community of people that are enthusiastic about this approach. Brilliant. So I was going to ask you, where's the best place for people to find you, Andy? You've just preempted that, so you've given it, you've given it away. So well done. I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, um, hey, thanks, thanks again. Really appreciate you spending the time. Phenomenal book, and um, hey, I'd love Thank to you. um, love to maybe connect again and and maybe do part two of this at some. Oh, stage. I'd love that. Thank you. No, this is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, you did a fantastic job. Brilliant. Awesome. Enjoy the rest thanks. of your day, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, dinner time for me. Excellent. Thanks, Andy. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.